Hello and welcome to Healthy Mind, Healthy Life with your host Avik. This podcast is all about exploring the latest research, sharing personal stories and providing personal tips for improving our mental health and well-being. Each episodes will be joined by experts in the field of mental health as well as individuals who have experienced the transformative power of a healthy mind firsthand. Together we will dive into a range of topics from managing stress and anxiety to building resilience and cultivating happiness. So, join us on this journey to discover new ways to take care of our minds, bodies and souls and let's work together to create a healthier, happier world one episode at a time. So, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another inspiring episode of Healthy Mind Healthy Life. I am your host Avik and today we have a truly extraordinary guest joining us. Her name is Nicole Kerr. So welcome to the show Nicole. Well, thank you so much Avik. I am delighted and very grateful to be on your show. Um this is my first podcast with um uh someone in India, so I'm as you can tell really excited to be able to bring my message to your country through you. lovely that's so lovely so uh, so nicole like uh, thanks for uh, mentioning this and also uh, before we start delving deep into our conversation i'd love to mention this to all of our listeners that uh, nicole is an award winning health expert co-author of eating the rainbow lifelong nutritional wellness without lies hype or calculus and a renowned figure in the world of wellness lifestyle and nutrition so her journey through various sectors of society from uh, government and academia to healthcare institutions and private consultation has empowered countless individuals to make meaningful happy choices for lifelong health and well-being so but her story is more than just a professional success so it's a testament to the resilience and the transformation so at the age of 19 uh, while a cadet at the united states air force academy she faced a near death experience that would forever change the course of her life so two decades later the memories of that fateful day resurfaced leading nicole on a journey to align her soul spirit mind and the body so her story serves as a powerful reminder that healing is a non-linear process and she brings that wisdom to her work today so as a disabled veteran nicole now operates as a private practice primarily utilizing neuroemotional technique which we often call net uh to address the often overlooked domains of emotional energy and the spiritual well-being so she also offers a unique perspective on life having glimpsed what lies beyond our earthly existence and returning with profound insights about living a fuller and more purposeful life so through nicole's experiences we will explore the transformative power of healing and how it can lead to a life filled with meaning and vitality So join us as we delve into the extraordinary journey of Nicole Kerr and discover the keys to embracing 
a healthier mind and a more vibrant life so nicole welcome to the show and thank you for sharing oh. your, your uh, story and i'll definitely i'd love to uh, mention this that uh, people our audience and uh, listeners would definitely love um, the insights which you do share with us today well i'm so excited to be here and thank you for that lovely introduction and i would say my most profound credential of all the ones that you were just mentioning is something called BTDT. I've been there and done that. <laughs> and I think that anybody that's had any kind of um, life experience that they've gone through, whether it's an eating disorder or whether it's uh, PTSD or whatever, and they've come through it, that qualifies them to add that uh initial to their resume because experience to me is always the greatest teacher and until you've walked in someone else's shoes truly walked in it you don't understand when they're saying i'm going through pain i'm going through um you know my mind just won't turn off or i can't stop binge eating or all these things you know you can you can have the education and you can have the theory behind it but until you've actually been there, done that yourself, I don't really believe that you can truly um, empathize and have compassion and understanding and sympathy for what the person goes through. So that to me is the most important credential when I look at anybody is have they been there and done that before? So that's why I add that to my book and my latest book, the one that you were talking um, is You Are Deathless, and that has become a number one bestseller. And that is totally about my near death experience. And like you said, it happened at age 19 when no one thinks they're going to die. And I think, you know, in our culture, at least here in America, we're in death denial. We don't think we're going to die. And we don't like talking about it because it has this doom and gloom associated with it. So what I'm trying to do now is to um, transform the um, conversation into one of positivity. Because now that I've been to the other side and back, not once, not twice, but three times, um, I can tell you there's 100% absolute beauty, loving kindness, peace beyond understanding. Uh, it is just wonderful. And it's unconditional love. There is nothing negative. There is nothing to fear. In fact, that was my greatest message to bring back is not to fear death. Um, but to do that, it's taken me 40 years to get to that point. It took me 13 years to write that book. And you have to address all the domains of wellness. If you just put it in a quadrant, you have to look at the physical we have to look at what we're eating and make sure that we're eating healthy foods and we're getting our physical activity and sleep. Those are all important. Um, but you also have to look at the emotional. And that is something here in the United States that we have a very limited emotional range growing up. We usually know four emotions, mad, bad, sad and glad. But there is a buffet of emotions. But if you are brought up in a strict home, which I was, and you're not allowed to hurt your mother or to be angry at your father, these are rules that you're taught as a wee little one, you know, so you're not allowed to express difficult emotions and you're told to push them down and not say anything or go to your room or whatever it is, you know? So we, what do we do with those emotions? 
we stuff them in our body and they're going to sit there until something happens later in our life, a stressor, a trigger that's going to bring it up and we're going to have to deal with it. And if we don't deal with it at that time, we're going to push it down again with food or drugs or something because we don't want to feel it. And so the body is so wise and it holds the keys. It it does remember everything that happens to it. And so if you think your body's not remembering something that happened when you were six years old, maybe a trauma, you're completely wrong. It does remember it. And something later in life will trigger it. And that's your opportunity to dig in and start transforming yourself to understand why you are having an adverse reaction and you're self-sabotaging yourself and don't even know it because you are, these are unconscious belief patterns that got established and you have got to become conscious in order to be aware of them so that you can do something about it. And so I grew up in the South in a strict religious household And my dad, I feared him. He was like God. He was a Marine and what he said went. And we never went against him because we knew we would be punished. So I went to into the military as a female. I was a model. I had nothing in my background that said, let's go learn to kill other people. And so when I got up to the academy, I knew that boot camp, that this was not the place for me or my soul. But in my family, we're not allowed to quit. We were not allowed to say, I'm sorry, this isn't for me. After all the work I did to get there, you know, the humiliation, the shame, the um, feeling of less than not good enough. I I couldn't do it. I couldn't quit. I couldn't fail. It It just wasn't a part of my constitution at that time. I had been raised with that belief system. You don't quit and you don't fail. So I went on and when my near death accident happened the following year, um, it was the beginning of the school year and I was in fear. It just gets harder the the further down the line at the university that you get. And I I just knew that I was going to fail out or I was going to not be able to complete something. And I most of all, I just knew my soul was in the wrong place because I was learning how to basically trained to kill people. And that is not what our soul is meant to do. And I think that's why in America, we have 22 veterans a day commit suicide. And that is unacceptable. It's just truly heartbreaking that these soldiers, men and women come back so wounded uh, that they want to kill themselves at the atrocities and the terror and the horrificness that they have witnessed over in the theater, wherever it is. So from my perspective, one of the issues of wellness that we have not addressed is the spiritual as a society, as a community. We don't talk about what spiritual wellness looks like. And we don't really talk too much about the the emotional. You know, it's a very complicated 
uh, road to go down. And there's a lot of modalities now that are out there that are helping people get at these unconscious belief systems that are sabotaging them. And the one that I use that works for me the best is NET, neuroemotional technique, because the mind is very powerful and it can really trick you into believing things that aren't true. And if you grew up with belief systems that were handed down generationally and you don't ever question them, you just take them on as fact, but they're not working for you. You've got to you got to realize to you've got to let go of them and and transform yourself. This isn't about your mother, your grandmother, or your grandfather anymore. It's about who you were born to be, and it's not easy work. And that's why I say I went from a near death experience to a spiritually transformative experience because I had to reconceptualize who I was. I came back transformed. Every single person that has a near-death experience comes back transformed. Now, my memory didn't come back of the crash until 19 years later. And then when it did, boy, did my acceleration on the soul trajectory start moving forward because I remembered going over. I remembered not wanting to come back. I remember being told not to fear death. I remember being told to ask the angels for help. There's a whole spiritual cadre of help. Just there's a thin veil right between us and them. And all we have to do is ask for help. And so many of us don't ask for help. I don't know why, but we don't. But even for simple things like a parking space, you can ask your angels for help. They exist. They exist in many forms. In my book, I talk about how the guy, the paramedic that rescued me, he's one of my angels because I was pronounced dead at the scene. They had bypassers that heard the crash. It was a Corvette convertible. I was a passenger. And the guy that I was with, I later found out he was drunk and he was making a sexual pass at me. And I said, no, he got mad at me turned the wheel of the Corvette as he was speeding and it flipped out and landed on its, um, it landed on its uh, top, but that's what it looked like going away. I don't know if you can see that, but I can send you the picture and you can post that as well, but it's also on my website. And needless to say, when the paramedic took a look at me, he couldn't get any vitals. So uh, he did this one thing he knew how to do is a sternal knuckle press, which is designed to elicit pain in the body. And you're not going to believe this, Avic, but at that moment when he did that, my right pupil dilated. It flinched. Now, have you ever heard of this thing? Your eyes are the window to your soul. Have you heard that? Not exactly, but yes, Um uh... Somehow, uh, it's uh, I, I, I heard this thing, but not completely. Okay. At that moment, my soul, which had, we all have an energy body. Right. The energy body cracks at death and your soul is released. Okay. That happened when I went through the windshield. I knew I was going to die when I hit the ground. So an angel came down and took me up to the other side. And so I never experienced the pain of hitting the ground. I saw myself 
from up there in the ditch, all mangled and lifeless. Uh, but I knew I was going to die. And he came and took me up. And one of the messages he said was, you're going to tell people not to be afraid of death because when you died, you were afraid of death. You had a concept of God that was afraid uh, if you didn't do the right things and follow the right rules that you would go to a place called hell. That's how I was raised in my religion. But back to the soul, my soul flew out when I went up through the air. It just left me. And it came back in that moment that he was doing that sternal knuckle press through my right eye. My soul came right back in through my eye. And at that moment, he got a blood pressure on me of 60 over zero. Now, that is still dangerously low because regular is like 120 over 80. So I was critically, critically ill. And they didn't know if I'd even make it to the hospital. They did CPR on me the whole way. Uh, I got to the hospital. I was in surgery all night. They were just trying to stabilize me. I cut off my left foot. I had severed my right wrist. I had broken my pelvis. Uh, I had cut a huge hole on the inside of my right leg. I had a bad road burn from skidding on the, the pavement. I was messed up really bad. Um, so what I want to say is I was clinically dead for between 10 to 13 minutes. The paramedic received uh, an award from the state of Colorado called the Phoenix Award which is the Phoenix is rising up from the ashes. And so uh, he was given that credit of saving my life. And I, I find it interesting because I could not do that on my own will. This was all supernatural. It was something beyond me that was doing all of this. And I certainly didn't want to get back in that body because I will tell you, I knew there was going to be a lot of pain and suffering with all the injuries, but also going back to live with my parents because I was not going to be able to complete the academy uh, based on the injuries. I became a disabled veteran and I had to learn how to walk again. I couldn't even go to the bathroom by myself. So I went back to a state of infancy and became very codependent with my mother, which was not um, a healthy thing at age 19 and 20 to do when everybody's starting to go out on their own and be their own person. I'm like totally dependent on her. So it was a very difficult um, process. And I want to talk about the mind because the mental health part of this was a huge part in my life. My parents, uh, the doctors told my parents, Nicole needs therapy. She needs a psychiatrist. She needs a psychologist. She has been in a massive trauma and she is going to need help to sort all this out. And they looked at the doctor and my mother flat out said, Jesus and God are our psychiatrist. She's going to be just fine. Well, guess what? I was not fine. <laughs> Jesus never came down and sat on the sofa, not once, and said, Nicole, let's have a therapy session. Let's try to work out some of these emotions that you're feeling. So as a result of not getting mental health help, I developed an eating disorder. And if you don't get mental health help, your body will adjust in an unhealthy way. So I want to tell everybody out there who's had any kind of trauma, you have got to work through your own trauma. 
my parents both grew up. My mother came. She's an immigrant from Kiev, came through World War II, massive trauma there. My dad grew up with an alcoholic, massive trauma. They never got help. They don't believe in help. They're part of that generation that you just don't tell people your problems, right? And you don't need psychiatric help. Well, because you're, because your parents don't get help, they don't have sympathy or compassion for what you're going through if you're going through trauma. I should just be able to get over it. I'm walking again. Uh, I seemingly can function okay physically, so therefore I'm well. No, not in the slightest. You know, I lived with that compulsive eating, as it was known back in the 80s. It's now known as binge eating disorder for 20 years. It wasn't until I got married at age 40 that it actually went away. And I will tell you, it was I hated myself because my parents blamed me for the wreck. I wasn't driving. I wasn't drunk, but I broke their rules. I was smoking. I was drinking. And I got in a car with my dad thought I was dating him, but I was just getting a ride back to the academy from a function that we were at. So I didn't hardly even knew the guy. But in my dad's mind, I disobeyed him and just, quote, deserved what I got. That has been the hardest part. And to this day, he's still alive. My parents are. But I do not have a relationship with them because they are religious addicts. And they don't understand that my concept of God and going over to the other side, God was love, pure and simple. God is, there's nowhere God is not. There's no judgment on the other side. All these things that I was taught that caused me to have fear in my life, guess what? Poof, one true. God's not about fear at all. That's all man-made in order to control people. So... The mental health part to me is so important that people understand that they have to get help if they're struggling with any type of mental illness, whether it's anxiety, depression, PTSD. I want you to know I just got diagnosed with PTSD three years ago. 37 years I was misdiagnosed with either clinical depression or anxiety. And they treated me with over 40 different medications and none of them worked because they didn't have the right diagnosis. And we now know with PTSD, I've had migraines for 30 plus years. PTSD and migraines now have a connection. Okay. Makes sense. But back then it didn't. So uh, they could never understand uh, why I was having so many migraines and all this stuff. And I kept saying, well, I had a traumatic head injury. Of course, I'm going to have headaches. But I'm now getting treated for PTSD through, I'm back in therapy again. I've been in and out of it my whole life, but I'm back in therapy again. And I'm also, I will just be honest, I'm on a new medication for PTSD. And it seems to be helping me to be more like this and not like this. And I will tell people it's not easy because you have to give your body time to titrate up to the right dose. It takes, a, you know, a while. This isn't, medication is not an easy um, 
uh, process to find the right drug. And then it takes a while to get in your system. But people with, I have what they call complex PTSD. I needed a higher level of care than the NET, which was helping, but I needed more. And my chemically, my system needed that because my nervous system went unregulated. It went into that sympathetic fight, flight, or freeze mode so much of my life because it wasn't ever given a safe place to uh, to know that it could go into a parasympathetic, that rest and digest place. And when you're operating out of that uh, amygdala, the sympathetic, that's operating out of fear in your life. And Avic, you're not going to make the best decisions when you're in fear. You're going to, um, you're not going to have clarity. So it's not going to be for your highest and greatest good in terms of making decisions. You've got to get in this part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex, where your executive reasoning and thinking come through. And you can't be in both places at the same time. And let me tell you, this part of your brain, those two little amygdala, they will hijack this part of the brain in a moment's notice because your safety is its priority. So understanding that and getting out of this fight, flight, or freeze and getting into this part of your brain takes practice. It takes uh, help in the emotional realm. You have to deal with your stress. You know, think about it. Stress affects almost over 95% of the emergency room visits to U.S. hospitals, stressed us. And with having had this whole COVID thing that we've been through, and now, oh, here's another variant. Do we get the vaccine? Here we go again. You know, it's constant stress on people, and they don't have the right tools to cope with it. It's causing them to live in a state of fear and their sympathetic uh, nervous system is on all the time. So what I'm hoping people will learn is that's where that fear is coming from. And we need to learn to start regulating that. And we can do that. You need probably some help, but you can get it and learn to to get into your prefrontal cortex most of the time. Does that make sense? Definitely. Yeah, and it's a Awesome. I really loved uh, your step-by-step explanation about the journey you've been. And it's it's a great way to learn. It will be kind of resource for a lot of people. So thanks for sharing this. <laughs> of course. Are there any questions you have for me? Yeah, definitely. So uh, like uh, you, you have worked in various sectors, like including healthcare, academia, and private consultations too. So how have this diverse experience informed your practice uh, as an emotional wellness practitioner today? Uh, I will tell you that I tend to, I'm on a hiatus now, uh, a sabbatical promoting my book, but I attend to attract very complex people that have tried everything else and it's not working. And I felt like that was my journey a lot. I tried a lot of the Western medicine. I even tried a lot of the Eastern medicine modalities and nothing was really changing. And what I realized was I was looking for an external fix. You know, that instead of looking inside and a lot of it came down to the soul part and the spiritual part and realizing that 
the healthcare industry doesn't address the whole system holistically. It only takes it piecemeal. So it's very frustrating and very confusing. And to find a physician that can look at you holistically and coordinate all the different doctors and meds is very time consuming when you have a very complex history medically. And so you have to do a lot of this work on your own, you know, to find people that can support you uh, from an emotional perspective and find the right person and the right technique, whether it's EMDR, whether it's hypnosis, um, you know, there's now the whole psychedelics are coming uh, on board and showing evidence of helping with the mind, you know, especially for severe depression and things like that. So I think we're we're seeing more opportunities that are not uh, pharmaceutically based. Uh, and they're helping people that have not had hope before. Uh, so that's really encouraging to me. I think doing things that we all need to be doing anyway, eating fruits and vegetables, getting a walk a day, you know, getting out, enjoying nature, uh, connecting with nature, getting out of your home, you know, uh, your social network is so important to be connected to other people. And also, I will tell you, to start really understanding what your concept of God, higher power, source, whatever you want to call something greater than yourself that created this world that's been here before and will never die. Um, whatever that belief system is, is going to shape your relationship with death. So understand that if it's fear-based, in my opinion, that is not of God. That is a man and of religion and doctrine and theory. Got it. Definitely. So, um, like, uh, also, like, how did your memory of the crash resurface after 20 years? And what impact did it have on your life and your approach to the wellness? Um, I was working at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta. I was going to work one day, uh, start my Starbucks, got my coffee, my usual routine. And it wasn't the caffeine, let me tell you. I all of a sudden remembered exactly how I was sitting in the car. I had one foot up on the dashboard. The other one was crossed over. By the way, don't ever sit that way in a car. That is uh, not at a very dangerous position if you're ever in a wreck. So, but I had my feet up on the dashboard. It was a Corvette. The top was down. And I was just trying to have fun for once in my life. You have to remember, I had never even been on a date. And now I'm going to the academy where there's 4,000 guys that my dad's like, you're not going to date any of them. But I'm like, I'm going to have some fun here, you know? And uh, the first time I have fun, boom, did I get slammed. But anyway, uh, so much for that. I've had a hard time learning to have fun without fear of something bad happening to, happening to me. So um, I've had that uh, need to control things that I've had to work on in my life to try to keep myself safe. But in regards to the memory coming back, that was the first step. It was how I was sitting in the car. Then I said, oh, my God, I can't go to work. So I went to my chiropractor, my body worker. He was full that day. And I said, I don't care. I sat on his office in his office waiting room on the floor until he could see me. 
And he said, Nicole, what's happening are repressed memories. They're coming up now. Your body feels safe. And that's an important factor for repressed memories to come up is you have to have a sense of safety in your body and a safety in your surroundings that you can tell people something and they will believe you. Now, I was living alone then, but I had a good support system and I was seeing a therapist and and they believed me. Now, when I tell my family, my parents, they don't believe me. Okay, so I don't need to tell them because they're not going to be of good support to me. Right. So you have to pick people and and, um, develop that sense of safety within yourself. The next piece is support. You can't just deal with trauma and these memories by yourself. Like I needed to go to my chiropractor. He knew what this was. He was able to guide me through it. Otherwise, I was scared, excuse my language, shitless about these memories coming up. And then you start doubting yourself. Oh, my God, am I making this up? This is this is unbelievable. I'm I'm remembering the crash, how I hit the door. You know, I just I was reliving it. And I got to the point in his office where I went through the windshield and I got stuck midair. And I said to him, I know at this point I cried out, God, please help me. But I knew Avic, I was going to die. I knew it. And so he said, you got to go home. Don't go to work. Go to bed. And I went and slept in the guest room, a real small room, so I could have some safety. I didn't want this big room. And the rest of the memory came that that night about going to the other side. And in the book, I talk about the angel being Casper the Friendly Ghost. That's what it reminded me of. So the book was published in the beginning of August. Well, my grandfather, one of the things a lot of near-death experiencers say is that they meet deceased loved ones on the other side. And I didn't have that memory, but I had a description of Casper. It was male. He was in his 30s. And so my grandfather, I was I was meditating one day and I smelled cigar smoke. And I was like, where is this coming from? I don't we don't smoke cigars around here. And then I heard this voice and it's in Nicole. And I was like, who is this? And it says, it's your grandfather on my father's side. It's your grandfather, James. And I was like what do you want? (laughs) You know, it's like, and he said, I'm here to tell you that I died at age 58 of a massive heart attack. And you are now 58 years old. And I want you to know that I was your angel. I was watching over you that day. I knew the Academy was an abusive place for you and you wanted out and you didn't know how to get out. So I was the one that came down and saved you. And I told you, that I would always be there for you as a protective angel in your life until you pass on. And so I want you to know that during the next two NDEs, I had a code blue in one operation where my heart stopped. They called the time of death. I left my body and he caught me again. He said, no, you got to get back in that body. I said, no, I want to go back to the light because that was the only thing I had remembered the entire time was this beautiful white light. He said, nope, you're not going back. You have an important mission. And then another time uh, in the hospital, my lungs filled up with fluid and they could not get them drained. And I was suffocating. And once again, left my body. He caught me again. He goes, you're not going back to the light and you're going to get back in your body and I'm going to be here with you. And he has been with me the entire time. And he regularly checks in with me. And um, 
I was like, you know, why couldn't you have told me this before I published the book? You know, because a lot of people want to know, do you see deceased loved ones? So the answer to that question is, yes, you will. And when you're making your transition, you will see deceased loved ones come in. And it's not, he was it's interesting. The guy that was driving the car was an alcoholic. I later found out. And my grandfather was an alcoholic. But none of that carries over to the other side. It, it You know, he was in his 30s when it, it was a younger version of him. Uh, and he was in an angelic form. He wasn't, you know, none of the life experience that he had on earth trans uh, went with him to the other side. So, um it, it's just a real comfort. And in the book, I talk about, I look at the science part too, and talk about the 10 common lessons from near-death experiencers. And this is from a 2020 annual report of the International Association of Near-Death Studies. And the first one is we do not die, which is the title of my book, You Are Deathless. Our soul goes on. And this isn't our first rodeo. It's not. We we have many incarnations and our soul is here to evolve and to learn and to grow. And so if I would have stayed at the academy and stayed in my parental family bubble, I would never have had to make these changes that I have had to make that I um no longer have a relationship with my parents, which I never thought would happen, but it has because they're very toxic to me. They're very judgmental and critical. And I've learned I just can't be around them, you know. Uh, and I also realized I came back to help people and that this message regarding fear is really important because it's natural to fear something you don't know. And death is something, unless you've been there and come back, you don't really know. But I want to tell people there is no hell that you're going to. Hell is a man-made concept. And we live on hell on earth. You know, there is a lot of hell going on on earth, bad things. So that doesn't exist. And another one is we are never judged. How freeing is that? So from a mind perspective, if we could quit judging ourselves, that would be a huge step toward not judging others. So anytime you screw up or make a mistake or you think you're overweight or you've done something and you shame yourself or Nicole, you, you should have known better. Take that should out of your vocabulary. Should is a shaming message. So just get it out. Don't say it. Get that awareness going. Every time that word pops out, go beep. Nope, take that back, retract. Um, because it is, if you're shaming yourself or shaming someone else, saying that you should do this, that you knew better, but love yourself instead of judge yourself. And then that's going to help you to love others and not judge them. True, definitely true. So, uh, Nicole, like before we conclude, like what message of hope or the guidance would you like to offer to our audience like uh, particularly those who may be on their own path of the emotional healing and the self-discovery okay i will tell you that healing is an ongoing journey it's not linear it's not like you do what one doctor says and that you're going to get boom these magical results um 
you have to use your inner compass, your guiding light, and realize that you know your body better than anybody and get the support that you need. And if the first person doesn't work out, don't give up. Try someone else. There are other people that will connect with you. We all There's all different techniques out there. There's all different types of therapists out there. Um, find someone who connects with you, who you trust, but don't give up on yourself. The other thing is do the self-care that you know you need to do, you know, and it's simple things like uh, not only eating healthy, not all the time, but the majority of the time, but also to start addressing the spiritual part of your life and awaken to who and what you believe the concept of God is in your life and develop a relationship with your soul. We all have a soul. So one thing you can do, I take this from Lee Harris, is if you journal, which is a great technique, ask on the top of the page, what does my soul want to tell me today? And if you don't hear anything or get anything, don't give up, do it again the next day. Okay, and be persistent because you have a relationship with your soul, whether you know it or not. And that soul connection is important. And when you go through a trauma, a lot of times soul loss can happen and your soul will fracture in order to protect yourself. So there are and then this can get into a whole nother discussion about soul loss. But people who have suffered a lot of trauma they need to have their soul brought back together, those fractured pieces. Shamanism can help. Hypnotherapy can help. But it's important that in your to get aligned from your body, your mind, your soul, and your spirit in order to be grounded and conscious and aware and connected to source. And that is where you feel that... Um, mystical high, I guess, or that enlightenment state when you know that who you truly are never dies and you're here and everything that you do say and think makes a difference to people and to this planet and to animals. Wow, that's so lovely. So thank you for joining us on this profound journey of uh, the emotional healing and self-discovery on today's episode of Healthy Mind and Healthy Life. And I believe that all of our listeners, like you have found this conversation with Nicole as enlightening and inspiring as I did. So Nicole's journey uh, from her near-death experience as a young cadet to her transformation into a certified neuroemotional technique practitioner is a testament to the resilience of the human spirit and the profound healing that can occur when uh, we address emotional wounds. So as we conclude, we encourage you all to reflect on the importance of holistic well-being, the power of emotional healing and the transformative potential that exists within each of us. So whether you are on a path of self-discovery, healing from trauma or uh, simply seeking a healthier mind and a more vibrant life, Nicole's insights and the experiences offer valuable guidance and the hope. So if you have found today's episode meaningful, please consider sharing it with your others who may benefit from this powerful conversation. 
So subscribe to Healthy Mind and Healthy Life to stay connected with our ongoing exploration of mental well-being and the personal growth. So always remember that the journey to emotional healing and self or maybe the soul recovery is unique for each of us. And it's never too late to uh, embark on this transformative path. So today's episode reminds us that healing is possible and a brighter, more fulfilling life awaits. So thank you for being a part of this community. And until next time, take care, be well, and continue nurturing your healthy mind and the vibrant life. So thank you so much.